It's Monday, April 25th, in case you forgot what day it is. When I sat down just a minute ago, I realized I didn't actually have anything to podcast about, but I felt compelled to do one anyway because we've gotten so many subscribers lately, thanks to Cotton getting out there and spreading the word on the socials, which indeed is a term, socials. Thank you for those of you who, uh, or thank you to those of you who piped up and let me know that that is, if not in wide use, at least not in narrow use. So I won that debate. Take a second to pat myself on the back there. But then I realized I read something this morning. I had forgotten about it, and there's the podcast idea. So I came across this thing on the Althouse blog, which is the only blog I still read. I don't know if anybody else even does one anymore. It says uh, what, what Ann Althouse chose to lead off with is a quote from this magazine article, New York Magazine. Here's the quote. We are seeing lots of non-BDSM people coming in for all kinds of fetish wear and collars for dance parties, says Lolita Wolf, manager of Purple Passion, a BDSM fetish clothing and adult toy store. So, um, So they talk about how the accoutrements of that lifestyle are becoming more mainstream, which is really odd to me because I thought they had been more mainstream since like punk started in the seventies. Haven't they been mainstream for decades now? All that stuff. Wasn't Madonna doing that like in the early eighties? I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Maybe it was a dream I had. Not particularly fun one. So anyway, this stuff is becoming popular. And, uh, and so quoting from the article, it says, in general, both Mistress Iris and Mistress Marley are encouraging when it comes to the quote-unquote vanilla world, embracing their aesthetic. I'm definitely not a gatekeeper. I think it's great that, it's, that it has become popular, says Mistress Iris. I think it is important to highlight for those who are not aware that the people they are inspired by are being silenced. <laughs> My God. Are being silenced, says Mistress Iris of other doms like herself. Look, I am not going to encourage New York Magazine by actually clicking on the real article. So I realize I'm just reading pulled quotes, but I will bet almost anything I own that there's not a single example of doms being silenced. They're, they're, if anything, they're being ridiculously amplified. They're not being silenced in this country. Maybe she's talking about like in Saudi Arabia. Give her the benefit of the doubt. I'll bet they are being silenced in certain countries in the Middle East, you know, and in places like China. So I'm going to give Mistress Iris the benefit of the doubt. Assume that's what she was talking about. The sad reality, she continues, is that people who inspired this get erased from the public. Well, people who kind of appropriated it 
get to keep existing, she notes. It's like, okay, you want to utilize what we do and what we wear, but at the same time, you're not donating to our community. What? You're not donating to sex workers. You're not standing up for our rights. So sometimes we do feel like we're just being used as an aesthetic, and no one's taking us seriously, says Mistress Marley. You call yourself Mistress Marley, you like stuff ball gags in dudes' mouths and pee on them. And you want to be taken seriously? I don't think that's going to happen. Why do you want to be taken seriously? What is, by who? Why does it matter to you what people think? Honestly, I, people are apparently buying this stuff in droves, collars and God knows what else, and you're making money off of it, presumably you're marking it up. What's the issue? And you want people to feel bad because they're, they're like not aware of the, uh, the, the sex workers and doms of the past who toiled in the salt mines so that they could have nice things like, like uh, collars and, and whips and God knows what else. It's very odd to me. And then you get the, I mean, I think you really get to, to, to one of the main uh, issues, which is, uh, okay, you want to utilize what we do and what we wear, but at the same time, you're not donating to our community. I wasn't aware, and I'll bet nobody who's buying this stuff is aware that there's like charities set up to benefit uh, the bondage community. When did that start? You're not donating to sex workers. Why would they? Why on earth would anybody make that connection in the first place? And if it's so obvious, like, why can't you just make a case for it in one sentence? You're not standing up for our rights. What rights are being trampled on? And by whom? This is... To me, a, a really good example of identity politics and, and where they ultimately lead. So we live in a culture that has experienced a war. You hear that term, the culture wars. And certainly, just like you would hear about these people in Japan out in the jungle you know, 10 years after World War II ended, and they had no idea. They were still fighting the war. And we've got people like that in the culture war. They're still out there fighting. They don't seem to realize it's over, and it's been over for a long time. The identity politics people won resoundingly. It was an unbelievable thrashing, a total victory. But there are people who don't want to take yes for an answer. Why is that? Theory, just a theory, is that when you make your ideas of identity central to your self-worth and your identity is so dependent on victimhood that when the victimhood is taken away, you feel like these women do, like they're being erased. 
I'll go back to this and read this to you again. The sad reality is that people who inspired this get erased from the public, while people who kind of appropriated it get to keep existing. So literally, the existence, they were erased. They were removed from existence. Now, since we know nothing of the sort happened, since we know there has never been anywhere in the history of the world where these fetishes are more, not just accepted, but embraced and practically celebrated, nothing like this has ever happened in the history of the world before. So there's this huge gulf between reality and how these people feel. And I don't think they're making it up. I don't think they're running a scam for donations. I think the donations thing is legitimate. It's part of their milieu, if you will. It's part of their, the world they live in. Their worldview is entirely dependent on we are outsiders and victims. And by mainstreaming them, which is what has happened, and it's happened in a lot of ways, but of course, when it happens in a uh, capitalistic way, when it happens in, in, uh, in, the, in a way where people are buying their stuff, literally, they're interacting with these people who come in who aren't part of their world. And it's like, on the one hand, you like the money. On the other hand, like, you're not a real punk, essentially. And go back to punk rock. It's like, you're a poser. You're not a real punk. What are you doing with your hair spiked up? Like, you don't live the life like we do. Remember that in punk? If you go back, not to the earliest days of punk, but if you go back to the, the time, which was before my time even, but the time when punk became very insular and um, regimented, overly concerned with politics, and very rules-based, which would have been in the early 80s. If you go and look back at that time, that's the kind of stuff that people were saying at the time. Like there were people, you know, like new wave people who were stealing the punk aesthetic and getting rich off of it. And this was, this was just a terrible thing, right? And, and you know, of course, the, the, the question you got to ask yourself when people talk like that is, well, I mean, is that really the thing of value that people can take? And so there were people who argued that, look, you know, you can take the look, you can even take, you know, aspects of the music, but you can't take that spirit behind it. But the problem is, eventually that happened too. And the spirit of punk became mainstream, as it is today. So it's really weird to me that underground punk still exists because punk is so mainstream now that, that they have to delude themselves into thinking that what they're doing is different. And there's a bunch of different ways in which, in which they do that and, and have been doing it for years, including deliberately, as far as I can tell, making unlistenable music. And, and I don't say that as an insult. I mean, I think that there are people who do that for, for um, deliberately, for aesthetic reasons, like make it really, really hard to listen to their music because that then that becomes harder for the mainstream to co-opt, right? 
So all kinds of things like that, but, um, but it's all designed in part, at least, to, um, to draw attention away from the fact that you're no longer this secret, cool, little um, niche thing that because you're secret and cool and different, you're like pe- most people don't like you and you're kind of pushed off to the side. When you stop being that, if that was your identity, then you're going to feel erased. When mainstream society says, you know what, come in, be part of the family, hang out with the gang, have a seat at the table, we're all Americans here. That terrifies some people. I think most people who are in groups who have been historically oppressed, legitimately oppressed, uh, will agree that in 2022 America, things are way better. It's a whole different ballgame. Completely different. Maybe not perfect, but radically different than they were even 30 years ago. But then there's also a group of people, and, and I don't know how big this group is. It may be a minority with a very, very loud voice, which is often the way it is, but it may be more substantial than that. But there are a group of people who are determined to cling to the victimhood, and I think the reason for that is the victimhood itself is really ultimately the basis for the identity. When I see people yelling and screaming that they're being treated badly and their rights are being trampled on when no such thing is happening, I can't help asking myself, is this really, like, do people look at this and go, oh, this is a good way to be? If, if, I, if I become like this, I'm going to be happy and peaceful, right? I mean, it's a clearly not... Uh, a pleasant way to live, I would think. It clearly doesn't bring you peace and happiness. But what it does bring you is power. And there are a lot of people who would rather have power than happiness. I would say power is, is uh, more attractive to most people than pretty much anything, including sex and money. Because with power, you can get sex and money. All those other things that we want to say are really important to people, those are all attainable through power. Power is kind of the whole source of that. You have power, then everything else follows. And of course, power is very addictive. But I think what an awful lot of this comes down to is is power and control. And... In a way, the worst thing that can happen to you if your identity is based on victimhood is to have that victimhood removed. And so then we end up living in a society that creates these fictions as though we're living in 1950s America, you know, as though we're living in this unbelievably sexually repressive culture, when in fact we live in a a culture that is the exact opposite of that. We live in the most sexually forward and free culture in the history of the human race. But we have to pretend we don't because if, because if we say, yeah, actually things are great, 
maybe they could use some improvements, then nobody really gets to be a victim. And again, I would stress, I don't think most people, it seems to me anyway, at least interacting with people, that most people in any given victim group uh, are running around feeling oppressed. I mean, whatever flaws there are in our, in our society and in our culture and in our laws are minor compared to the way things were, even like I said, 30 years ago. But those voices are very loud. And you think about, um, you think about, for instance, why is it that the, the Westboro Baptist Church, which is really a, a, a church in name only, it's not like something with a lot of adherence, it's some lunatic and his family, and they call themselves a church. But they go out and they, and they protest and they do this God hates fags stuff. And they get massive media coverage. And people act like this is, you know, a terrible outrage and it's a really big deal when in fact it's just like a little kid, you know, throwing around his own poop. It's just literally somebody doing something outrageous to get attention and the media obliging because it fits this bizarre narrative. But in reality, like all you have to do is not cover it. But the problem is if you don't cover it, then... You have to acknowledge that the, the percentage of people in the United States who care what consenting adults do behind closed doors is so statistically minuscule as to not be worth even commenting on. So our culture has changed radically. We don't care. Overwhelmingly. And to focus on that tiny little group of people who do care and have very big mouths and want everybody to know that they care, is dishonest, I think. And really, ultimately, I think the saddest thing of all is that it leads to such unhappiness. Because you have to live a lie. You have to run around saying, you know, I work as a dominatrix. I'm being oppressed. You're being oppressed? You're being erased? I mean... I wouldn't use as evidence the fact that you have a piece about you in New York Magazine because if you were to, it, you know, kind of pull that out completely out of the context of the culture we live in, that's not really evidence of anything. I mean, people cover strange things all the time or offbeat things all the time. Um, so that's not a big deal in and of itself. But I would say just don't look at that and take the easy way out and say, well, you can't complain that you're an outsider because you're covered in New York Magazine, because that's, that's really not necessarily true. But I would say the evidence is the culture. Look around. The mere fact that people have appropriated the accoutrements of your kink is evidence that you're living in a far more tolerant culture. And so there's a kind of cognitive dissonance there and, um, and I can't see that that's a really good way to live. I can't see that you can walk around all day and believe that and be happy. And if you are choosing unhappiness, 
I think that's a tragedy. And if you're insisting on victimhood as a condition of your existence, then I'd say you have built your house on sand. You should have built it on rock. Well, I could be wrong about all this. It's possible. Just thinking out loud as usual. As always, I've enjoyed my time with you, Invisible Podcast audience. I will join you again next week, assuming things don't get too busy around here. Until then, have a wonderful week, and please remember I love you all very much. So long.